Aloha, adventurer. I am Joshua Loya. You know who I am. I am talking for just a brief moment. Uh, i got a couple things I want to share with you. Oh my gosh, this was a fun conversation this week. I think you will enjoy it. But before you feast your ears on my words and the words of my guest, I want you to do me a quick favor. Can you do this kind, cool thing for me? It's going to help you out too. I want you to go to Instagram. Uh, what? You're not on Instagram. Get an Instagram account and then go to Instagram and follow Aloha Adventurer, or I'm sorry, uh, at Aloha Adventurer. That is the official tag Instagram handle, if you will, for Adventure Mind. So, uh, you know, that thing I say at the beginning of every episode, Aloha Adventurer. Well, now... <laughs> Now, that is the tag for you to go follow the Adventure Mind movement on Instagram. You will get little pictures of our guests, little extra little visual cues. You'll uh, get a little, couple of clips here and there of, of uh, the podcast episode that's out. And uh, we'll start putting some more stuff out there for your eyes and your ears and your, uh, your Instagram uh, itch on that Instagram back of yours. We'll Instagram scratch for you so you can have Instagram relief. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a silly mood as I record this. Um, little bonus, I'm actually uh, in the process of training with my new guide dog. We'll talk about that in a future episode, perhaps, but not right now. I would like you, please, one more time, go search for Adventure Mind on Instagram and follow at Aloha Adventurer. And uh, after that, I would like you to uh, allow into your left and right ear holes, uh, my voice and the voice of my guest, Mr. Scott Davidson. Aloha, adventurer. I am Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have with me a guy who skips legs, leg day. He skips leg day every day what's up brother how are you doing mr scott davidson josh man i'm really really happy to be here first of Hold all on, dude well you crushed it on my show your clip about like we cut out a <laughs> clip of you talking about like not all vision impaired people are prophets and that thing hit everywhere i mean that was stolen and reposted by so many people within the disability community because it was so funny so like well that's the plan on. man you gotta laugh about this shit you can't you know it's like you and i have we've been around for a minute we've been in our situation or particular mm -hmm. adaptations for basically our whole lives right but like dude what are you gonna do you're gonna sit it you know like cry every single time somebody calls you a cripple or an eye poker i mean you know yeah sometimes <laughs> people are mean and sometimes but sometimes your friends are just busting your balls and it, it's it's not an, an ill intent sort of deal yeah, no. we've been really bad about it sometimes, especially in competitions. I don't know if you notice, like the the knives come out, people don't see how we talk to each other behind the scenes. Yeah, and then you know when like somebody catches it on recording, and you're like, and they're like, oh shit, they talk to each other like that. You're like, yeah, that's kind of how it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if you know Darian uh, Haynes from uh, from Hawaii. She's a upper limb. Uh, limb different she doesn't have the use of, of mm -hmm. one of her arms and she's so she basically serves like benthony hamilton only she didn't have a, a shark ass and it's just been like a lifelong thing yeah, yeah um but uh she calls me bumper because i keep bumping into shit and i call her cripple and it's but it's not like a mean thing it's it's two people who understand the the 
just the nature of people not understanding what's going on. So what about the rivalry between like an acquired disability, like an accident versus congenital? Cause like, um, I have friends that like, in fact, it was on clubhouse like a week ago or something where the joke was like, all of a sudden I got injured and I know how you should live. You know, like it's been like, I've been injured for two years, you know? Well, that's just it, right? Like, and that's the thing. There's this thing, like, this is going to be a little bit of a, a window lens for, for those of you who don't have, like, a real significant disability. This might be a little bit of a window into the to the scene, but um, at least in the blind and visually impaired world, there is this sort of, like, this infighting thing, but it, most people are cool. But there is this sort of expectation there's only one way to do blind. There's only one way to do this. And, you know... Just like disabilities and life circumstances are nuanced, the way you adapt is nuanced. You know, somebody who's been blind their whole life, you know, they probably started reading Braille when they were like two or three, four, five, six years old. Because I wasn't totally blind until I was 16, I didn't lose, you know, start learning Braille until I was 16. So consequently, I don't read Braille nearly as fast. And so when I read a book, uh, it's an audiobook, and I will continue to say read a book. And if anybody does like <laughs> considers audiobooks not reading, they can, uh, you know, they, they can go find something else to do. But there is that rivalry, man. There's a huge oh, for rivalry sure. between. For sure, it. it's kind of fun to see the discussion play out, um, especially in the athletic side. The arguments hit a yeah, little yeah. bit, you know. So for people who don't know you, first off, if you're not aware of Scott Davidson, absolutely check out Living Adaptive, which is the show that I was on. And then uh, what's the name of this other podcast you got going that you've been rocking a this little bit? This is a true story. So this is a true story launched in like uh, third week of January, I believe. So yeah, you've had some ongoing. dope guests, like yeah. even just in the short period of time you've been running. Yeah. Do, are you related to Joe Loya? I, I don't know. Not to my knowledge. Uh, I'm not related to the other Josh Loya either, actually. So Tell me about Joe, please. Yeah, I did that on purpose because like Joe, Joe, first of all, is an incredible character. I mean, he's like, they've based movies around him. You know, he's writing series for TV shows. He's had uh, a whole podcast documentary about him and it's because he robbed 36 banks. He also left his dad to die in the living room. And that was when he was like 16 or so. That's wild. Yeah, he had a really rough life, but like he's been 20 years turned around and he's, um, really kind of made a big difference, you know? So his story was good. His story was really, really good. Hit well. Was that your, like your debut episode or something or? No, my did. No, he was probably episode 10 or something. Okay. 11 okay. in there. So the whole concept behind the the show is like, you, you obviously have wild stories. You just like, uh, like profile pieces. What, what are we doing here? Basically what, what you're getting here is like a little bit different than like an interview based show. It's, it's right. going to be presentations. So they present a story. I go and find, or somebody points me towards a writer generally they're always writers in some capacity and they've written these stories like joe wrote how how i chose my getaway song and we're like this is a really good fucking story this is true <laughs> and like this is a guy going through like i just robbed a bank that, and like i can't settle on whether i'm listening to a pink floyd song or not <laughs> i know it's ultra violent too. dude that sound that seriously sounds like something like a plot point out of a quentin tarantino movie He's absolutely, I mean, he's a genius though. He's a creative genius. Yeah. So when he writes it, he, you know, Orange is the New Black, he helped influence right. get that off right. the ground. Okay. And so like we go and find these these people that like the next show is going to be a stuntman that was in like Star Wars, stunt person and Star Wars and um, Harry, Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, stuff like that. And he wrote a piece on like a day in the life of a stunt person. And so these types of stories were just, I'm just airing. And it's kind of like, 
It's kind of like an uncensored TED talk without the like, this is how you get through life or some shit right. like that. Right, and it's not like quite like a, wait, is this a Scientology pitch video? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So like you're getting an actual presentation, an actual story where it's like, this is this is this person's best writing. It could have been like over years, you know, we go and find their very best piece and, and then present it to us. And then afterwards we give you a little bit of a story behind the story, maybe 15 minutes of an actual interview. Cool. So it's a little bit like that director's commentary dynamic where you're watching film and you go back and you get a little extra. That, that's cool. Yeah, pretty much. Let's introduce them to somebody interesting. Go check out their platform and here's the story. And at this point, I really like it. And then Living Adaptive, I've kind of like taken a break from. I started taking a break in, I think, early February. I, last episode. You was have so much content under that show, though. Like, what did you have? Like, like several hundred episodes. Easy. Um, yeah, a lot. I don't even know, especially when it came to like live sessions and stuff like that. Yep. It just, at some point it, it, it's just so much work. And then for the adaptive side, I rejected every sponsorship, which is probably stupid, but it also let us speak freely. And so I should have hired somebody. And that, that is honestly kind of the weird trick, right? Anytime you're doing some sort of niche thing. And I, I actually took that lesson from you. So I, we obviously, you've heard some of the episodes we've done in this show. Oh, we yeah. don't hide away from talking about the adaptive world, right? Like, obviously, we've had Jacob Pacheco on here. We've had mm -hmm. Jose on here. We've had Ty. Chuck on here. Ty's been on here for sure. Um, and obviously, you're on here. You know, So we're not not at all going to shy away from the adaptive athletics world or even just the adaptive world in general, right? Because that's a part of my world. I'm all about being authentic, sharing mm -hmm. stories. But I think that one of the things that you did really, really well was give – kind of the adaptive world of voice without the pressure to conform to, to sponsorship to, you know, like, Oh, don't say fuck. Don't talk about weed. Don't talk about sexuality. Like you had that one guy that, that did like nude. Uh, oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know does. what I mean? So like yeah. you've had, you've had like, you were able to be really unfiltered and that's, you know, that part I think is, is really cool. You gave a voice to, to our community, the lar broader community of people with disabilities, people with adaptations in a way that often isn't done. At the same time, there's a limit because unless you're in our world, you have to be a, a unique person to want to pay attention that much. And so, you know, taking a, a page from your book and not wanting to, you know, shy away from that because that's absolutely part of my world, but also interspersing it with, you know, other comedians, you know, like I had, uh, by the time this released, you know, my episode with Will McCarrow is out. You know, I had uh, Jonesy on back oh, yeah, know, a few yeah. weeks ago. You know, I've had, you know, audiobook narrators like Scott Brick was on. So I've had a whole range of people, but it's it's to kind of break it up. So, that, you know, always get something within a given month, you're likely to find at least one interview that you can rock with. And I, I still... Um, I think, though, that you, the one thing I really enjoy, you actually really inspired me to get this get this going because you were very unfiltered. And while I'm not at all opposed to taking sponsors, you absolutely made me think really hard about how I wanted to approach, uh, approach sponsorship for this show because I don't ever want to have a sponsor tell me what I can and cannot say in the no. show or what a guest can talk about on the show. And that's that because that's just that changes the whole ethic of authenticity that our, our show and our movement's about. No, I really, thanks, first of all, thank you for those nice yeah, words, like seriously. For sure, and, dude. And Not just idea, smoke. Awesome, man, thank you. Because like the adaptive side was really hard. They said, it's too small of a group, you can't niche it out. And I'm like, 
we can do this. We can get it to go somewhere. But the goal wasn't to be big. It was more to be like part of a community. I needed yeah. it. I was a fucking mess when I started that thing. Well, it was probably therapeutic for you just to know that somebody's story was getting told finally. Yeah, yeah. And then the idea that we could be uncensored. One thing that you're so right about is like, well, if you think about statistically speaking for your show, you're probably hitting yep. that 15 to 20% where like at some point, like that's the high end of disabilities and, and for sure. the general pop. Yep. And that's a healthy number. But what I find is like, if you think about the adaptive world, the peak is like Amy Purdy, let's just say. Somebody like Amy Purdy, who's like blown up everywhere, Hollywood, TV shows, um, you know, huge podcasts, huge everything. And then we have just tens of thousands of everybody else talking about what it is to adapt over and over and over. And doing what you're doing is so different because yes, Josh has an adaptation, but okay, that's, that's, that's a piece of his life, but he also is a host. He's also an athlete and all these other things. When you bring that to the table and say, yeah, that's part of my life, but there's so much more to me. And that's kind of what I hated about like talking about it all the time on living adaptive because, um, what do you call it? Um, Ryan Miller. He said, okay, right. What are you going to be all inspiration all the time? Like, great. Okay. So you're born in club foot Scott and you have these issues. What are you going to do? Talk about it all day, be inspiring all day. Or are you going to go yeah. do something with it? Well, and that's honestly why I wanted to do stand up because I didn't want to be another inspiration. Like, but when I did stand up, started in stand up, doing uh, stand up comedy in 2016, right? When I finally got on stage, mm -hmm. it's like, all right, enough of this. I'm going to figure this shit out. Like, I didn't want to be another, hey, I'm blind and I got through adversity. If I can get through adversity, you can too. Yay. Because yep, yep. it's like, that's the tired message. There needs to be a different angle. And it, uh, you're never going to get people to be able to relate to that. If you can get people to laugh, you can get people to kind of see that you're a fully dimensional person, then there's then that's actually how you break down real ableism. I love the idea that there's Josh who does, he's vision impaired. There's Josh's, but like I can tune in a clubhouse and you're roasting and you're you're doing your you're working your material with everybody else. You know, like sometimes I worry about like We've got the disability world. It's like, hey, come to our disability fashion show. And I'm like, well, why the fuck does it have to be a disability <laughs> fashion show? Just make it an everybody fashion show. For sure. Like Olympics and Paralympics, put them together, man. You have a Well, they're talking. By the, by the time they finally put surfing in the Paralympics, it's not going to be the Paralympics. It's going to be the Olympics with the adaptive divisions. You can taste that gold, can't you? Oh, dude, I, dude, I... Like, here's the thing, right? Like, I just won the Western Championship for the for the WSA, uh, for the vision-impaired category, right? Yeah, that, and congratulations. I'm stoked on it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, now the, the peel back the curtain a little bit, I was the only one to compete in the WSA this year with a visual <laughs> impairment. We'll fix that. Get Bring more blind surfers. Make me, make me work for that win. Uh, but the thing is, is I'm not training and haven't been training for the – the, you know, the, the serious champion just, you know, yesterday, I'm not even training for nationals next month. I'm training for LA in 2028, right? Like I'm not, you know what I mean? It's not a, yeah, it's a, long do I game. Win? it's a long game, you know? And like, you know, people hear my, my coach, uh, John White, who I'm sure you've met or at least heard about at least an amazing, Jacob. amazing yeah. person. Waves yeah. for all, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, when you finally make it out to Sandy, I know you say you're afraid of sharks, dude, we're going to get you out here. We're going to take you out surfing with me and Jacob and John. And you're going to enjoy yourself, you know, the heck out of yourself. Yeah. But, I'm riding prone for sure. But like, um, oh, fuck. <laughs> I had a thought, dude, like, 
the we'll, idea we'll, we'll that you're going to into it. 2028, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this is this is what it is, right? Like, um, people, because he is a, a personal trainer's well-served coach and, you know, honestly, a really good friend. And, and he basically told me, dude, like, if I'm being honest, you're at about 50% of where you could be. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not in shape now. That just means I have a long, giant, long way before I hit the ceiling of my max potential as an athlete. And, you know, by 2028, do I think I can get there? I'll, I think I'll hit my peak. I'll only be 48. People say, oh, you're 40, you're old. No, dude, I'm going to be competing probably at least another 20 years. You, uh, you, uh, so I know a lot about your background. I yeah, always prepare yeah, as much as I can. And so like, and, and so you've been a martial artist for a long time. And, uh, since about 2005. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking that you understand the belt system and a slow climb there where that right. is so beneficial is on the other side of like track and field, all these other sports where it's like, oh, we got to get instant wins right now. And I feel like the slow climb that's provided in the martial arts world, like BJJ or anything like that, where it's like, yep. you just don't get that stripe easy, probably pays oh. off where you're going. Well, dude, I've been a, so I, I have, you know, several black belts, right? But I've been training with Joel Tudor for my jujitsu. Dude, I've been a blue belt since 2016. Now, granted, I didn't do a lot of jujitsu mm -hmm. last year, more so because of my hernia rather than necessarily COVID, but like, you know, Joel, you know, Dude, that's a long time to be a blue belt. <laughs> five, you know, we're talking like five years. So over five years now, technically speaking. So but the part of it is, is the more I I increase in rank in general, the less I care about it. I just want to be good. I just want to actually yep. go through the process of doing the thing that's really, really hard so that I can power through the hard moments. I mean, that's the whole idea of this uh, this adventure mind movement, right? You do the stuff that's really difficult, really scary. So that when the, you know, the, the really challenging stuff comes your way that you didn't get to choose, you're not knocked by it. You're not rocked by it. You can get back up. And then, you know, when you have that, you know, that one ice cold beer or, you know, we'll, we'll just say one um, <laughs> after surfing with your buddies, you know, it's, it means that much more rather than, you know, it's your first ice cold beer of the evening and you're, you're basically going to just sit and watch, you know, 90 day fiance all night. You know, no knocking it if if that's somebody that's their that's guilty pleasure. Show. But if that's it's, hey, but you know what I mean. If that's all you're doing, you know, I think that's the only show I actually watch right now is ninety days. <laughs> like, because like YouTube is like holding. I, I love how I talk shit, and that's the show that you're watching. Oh, that that summarizes <laughs> me though. Like, like we'll like that's the one thing. Don't you feel like we get into the, we get knee deep into horrifying experiences? Like, yeah. I got a message right before this show, and somebody's like. Hey, I'm born like you. I'm gonna be facing these surgeries. I can't play with my kid. I want to die. And you're like, holy fuck! And so like, you're in a heavy Oof. shit. And then like to decompress, you want to see who like Carl brought over from fucking Ecuador <laughs> or something to like. No, I you get know. you. I get you. Uh, I, I just feel like if if when you only when you're just so rocked by you, you like negative experience after negative experience after negative experience and you don't get to choose any of them oh yeah it's really tough but when you if you have the space and and sometimes people just in a season of life where they don't have the space i get that sometimes you're going through mad amounts of surgeries and like the spot where your your friend was was in or is in or whatever if you do the difficult shit on purpose though then I feel like that builds up a little bit of just toughness to deal with the shit that you don't get to choose. Maybe it's not enough, but I think it, it helps a little. I do too. At least too. for me, it does. I do too. I feel like that. I don't know, man. I'm going to sound all like 
religious, but I love that term, like refiner's fire. You know, like right. I do like being refined, you know? Well, I mean, you look at how a sword's made. How do you make a sword? You basically pour it through tons of fire and then you pound it out and you cool it and you, you know, I mean, I'm not a swordsmith. If somebody's like with, uh, you know, society of creative anachronism, if you're all making swords and stuff, don't come <laughs> beat me with your, your, your nightly, you know, stuff. But, um, so like for, for you though, right? Like, I mean, you're not just, fuck, you're, you're, you are there for a lot of people. I mean, you've been around in the adaptive community, um, and just in life. And I, I, people reach out to you when they go through shit. Like you, you, like Jacob speaks super highly of you. Which is crazy because like, I mean, yeah, you're going to get like, the one thing I say is like, I joke a ton, but man, I actually give a fuck. You know what I mean? I really care. And like after, you know, when I see kids struggling, that's the man that breaks me because the parents are just broken. And when they reach out, that kid's broken and the kid's like, I haven't seen life outside of a chair. How come I can't walk like you? And you know, CTEV just varies so much. Some have no impacts after the first two years of casting. Others lose their legs before they even see. Can you break out what that is? Because again, like you, I, I know what's up and, and people in the community know what's up. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so Clubfoot is CTEV. So Clubfoot is one in a thousand births. It's kind of popular, like it's very popular, like uh, common. I like saying popular though, because like all the cool <laughs> kids have stuff. And anyways, it's kind of like CP in terms of stats. And it varies so much. The first two people I met like me are bilateral amputees, meaning they don't have their legs. And it's often because we went through like a lot more archaic surgeries. The treatments have gotten better. Yeah. I would imagine like, cause I mean, you and I are pretty close in age. Like what was going on 20, 30 years ago, night and day, I'm sure from somebody, if they're born with it today. There's two doctors, really. People say three, but there's two in the world. To me, two in the world. If I have an issue if a kid has an issue, if the guy that just messaged has an issue, these are the first two. I'm like, you need to talk to them before you do another surgery, before you do anything else. I'm like, they're so rare. It's still so unknown. And so like you can, all I can do is all I say all the time is like, I can't make it go away. I can't, but I can hang with you and we could talk about options and we could try to connect and network. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, just somebody knowing that somebody's been through a similar thing, not even the same thing, because obviously, like, I'm sure that the, you know, the condition manifests differently too, right? Like, oh, yeah. You haven't had to have your, so far anyway, and let's hope it, you don't have to, like, you still have your legs. Exactly. Like, that's, that, that's very different, but you can still stand in the gap or not <laughs> sit in the gap, whatever, with whoever's dealing, you know, somebody who reaches out. Not well, to say you that you're about like it, reaching Josh? for people to reach out to you necessarily, but. Well, if you think about it, it, like people like you and I are lucky, like we can get on a mic and we can get some attention. And then all of a sudden somebody gives us something. And I was so lucky because I have an AFO, a dynamic AFO provider that's up in Seattle well, in Everett, Washington and Cornerstone Prosthetics. And they're like, right, we'll build you something, man. And all of a sudden here I am so lucky sitting in Las Vegas, Nevada, and now I could run without pain. So and- how long were you running at like where it would just hurt? I, I don't know a moment out in my entire life because like my uh, joints go five degrees down and 15 degrees up. They've all been restructured. I've been described that if you look at my feet, it looks like you shook an x-ray because the joints are so deformed and wow. my feet curve in. I have scar tissue all the way up. I'm six foot three, 180 pounds, and I have five and a half inch ankles. So, 
Um, so like, um, if I got in a Muay Thai fight, um, I'd be in big, big, big trouble. Just kick the leg and yeah. <laughs> sweep the leg and we're in trouble. That's right, how skinny right. we are. And so like the, with all of these things considered, I'm so lucky, but like still like one of the biggest discussions, I'm going to get sued one day. Cause one of the things I attack all the time is like, we got a clinic down the road from them that has the ability to disseminate how to build these, just like this company is doing. And they're doing that, the company that gives me the AFOs. And the company down the road can do, like disseminate how to build them and get insurance coverage if they work the system correctly. Instead, they're taking nine grand. They're taking $9,000 per AFO. They last two to five years. And that's all they're gonna take, no insurance. So they're basically playing God with who gets to move, you know? And see, and that's, that's wild, man, because like, <laughs> wouldn't you think that man that's that's just wild to me like and and maybe it's because i'm not you know i'm, I'm kind of a shitty business person i'm i'm, me I'm too. <laughs> <laughs> like just because i i actually care more about improving quality of life for for people than i do care about you know the dollars and cents the thing is you'd be an amazing business person if you wanted to be a, it like you can captivate a room of strangers in I'm a matter sure of I seconds. Could. Yeah, yeah, you could go sell you could go sell an AFO and sell. But I I have to feel good about what I'm selling is really the thing for me. And it's That's why I've, I've only been you know, maybe maybe somebody will want to partner with me someday about, you know, selling something that I think is really good stuff. I mean like obviously like if Onnit wanted to sponsor me, you know, if oh, they're yeah, listening, yeah. you know, like I would dude, I I Actually, the workout I did right before I uh, jumped on the mic with you was an on it workout. You know, so there's there's legitimate companies that I think are doing really good stuff. But there's also a lot of like weight loss tea, and you know, like you know, use our fat burner to drop thirty pounds in two weeks. And it's like <laughs> I, I can't, I can't with that stuff, man. If anybody is listening, I always say like, if you're looking for sponsors, go go to the small companies. Like they're they're more than willing. Like the cost of advertising on Instagram is going to be the cost that, you know, you look for in terms of sponsorship. You know, if you're doing a blog, for instance, you got a spot on a site right there for 50 bucks or something. And then you just add up three or four more. The small ones seem to be the most receptive. Good was Fleshlight know. though? Was Fleshlight <laughs> small? Like remember with they, Joe Rogan? I think they were, they were small-ish, but... Um, I mean, and that's honestly speaking of on it, right? Because Aubrey Marcus, that was his company before he started on it, was Fleshlight. Oh shit! You know, Seriously? Yeah, same dude. Whoa, same I didn't dude. Know that. So, so yeah, Aubrey Marcus sold masturbators for dudes, <laughs> and then got into the you know physical maybe because he wasn't like swayed by every hot looking person that walked by. You know, he was he was kind of siphoning it off. He was able to think clearly about making some real. Uh, they, they started out with, I think, like their alpha brain product, all the nootropic stuff, and they kind of expanded. I mean, shit, now, like, I don't even know if Aubrey's, I think he stepped down from the company, actually. Yeah, he he's stepped doing down. his own thing now. I don't know if he had a controversy or whatever, but, um, you know, I've listened to his podcast a bunch. I actually haven't read his book yet. I've been meaning to. Man, has Aubrey, that I mean, squad, though, if you think about it, like, how much did they impact a podcasting space? Because when. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's like just and, crazy. and 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 I I tell everybody all the time, you know, this podcast, I absolutely bite off a of Joe Rogan style. Now, am I Joe Rogan? 
No, I, I mean, I do have a joke about it. You know, like I, I surf, I do jujitsu, you know, I got a big fuck off beard. You know, I, I have thought about like, if I do ever try DMT, I should change my name to Joe Rogan and get it over with. But that's like... beautiful. We had an episode recently of a lady. She's, um, she, anyway, she had a episode. She's, she used to be kind of a guide, I guess, for ayahuasca. And then she went into a whole piece about DMT and like that's really really hitting right now especially with content creators like that's the ones that are getting downloads is you know somebody going down smoking dmt with some dude in in like a, an apartment and somewhere in latin america yeah you know like i i just like i'm not a psychedelics expert like i you know i'm not pretty open about the fact that i smoke weed and stuff and and you know whatever but like the people who are really like my my whole approach to this to, to any of those substances like that. I, I kind of want it to help me kind of move forward. I don't want to do this sort of weird, you know, chemical stuff. Like I know people like who are, I don't know, like, like the, the idea of, you know, mushrooms. Okay. I can, I could, I could see doing mushrooms. I could see doing, you know, maybe peyote going on a vision quest, even DMT <laughs> or whatever, but like, like cocaine, get that, get that shit the fuck away from me. Yeah, like yeah. not even interested, not have no, and, and not because, it's a drug, but because it's it's so like affected and manufactured and, and artificial, by the time it actually, be, you know, like if I was to go to the Andes, I wouldn't have any problem chewing on a coca leaf to help with altitude sickness. But that's a different thing than something that's been so heavily modified by the time it actually gets to you know human consumption. If you're talking actual cocaine, you don't know what it's cut with or whatever. Anyway, man, do you think that's where it's going though? Like, like first it was like you smoke a little bit of weed, you know, in the seventies, sixties, eighties, whatever. And then it's escalated a little bit, a little bit of ayahuasca, LSD, shrooms, everything. Well, shrooms first, at, at least yeah. in the, in the States here. I think and shrooms now, are probably like, safer than LSD in the sense that you don't know what it's cut with. Like a lot oh, of, yeah, the, yeah. a lot of the LSD coming over from China, it's cut with fentanyl. That's like, you're going to die taking a freaking hit of acid. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, is the next evolution, like a bunch of millennials, like going over to like, I don't know, Albuquerque and just smoking meth and learning what they need to do with their life. You know, like, <laughs> is that the evolution of things? <laughs> We're in deep trouble if that's where it's going. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It just seems like these vision quests that uh, they, they're just upping the ante each time. You're like, going down by yourself to some jungle, you don't really know what they're giving you. And you're like, just giving in, you know, you're just like, it's like crazy. I think people are just, honestly, I think what it is, people are looking for something. They're looking for, because they're they're yeah. clearly the way we've been doing society for so long is not even close to the way that is optimal for human human life. Like we're, we're, we're we've come a long way. You know, if I had to live in any time of history up until now, do I want to choose now? Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably choose now because I have more resources, you know, and potential for, for living than I ever would have had, you know, if, you know, go back 200 years, I'd be reduced to begging or prostitution. Oh yeah, man. You'd be good. You'd like you, you're attractive guy, man. All right. Well, thank right. you, man. You, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll move to Pahrump and uh, <laughs> if you pay me enough money, you might be able to get lucky. Yeah. yeah. Man, yeah. That's not far from me. Um, so. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I, we've driven because we used to go to Las Vegas before all the shutdowns and everything, probably about once a year, we drive right through uh, uh, Pahrump or right by through, by there. Um, not saying I was hitting the whorehouse, just, just clarifying in case anybody's listening. I wasn't actually, now it's going to sound like I like, like was, was, uh, having lots of uh 
Anyway, we'll, we'll sidestep that conversation. Yeah, I'll just say one word about Pahrump. There's like, a, like, there's like a senior community that's thriving. So like, when you go to the Vons there, you've got a bunch of like hookers, prostitutes, um, you know, CD CD truck drivers especially. Right. Right. And then you've got like grandma and grandpa that are coming in for their prescription and stuff. It's like a weird dynamic in Pahrump right now. That's weird. Like it's I'm totally just trying weird. to like just like imagining like the <laughs> you got like candy on the corner kind of. <laughs> You know, with her short skirt on, and you got like Ethel on her turn, you know, uh, hover around going in and grabbing a Percocet. Well, Vegas, I mean, arguably California has like a really big, like, melting pot of interests and cultures and stuff, but Vegas has it too. Like, a gym I go to for obstacle training, ninja training, is also a CrossFit box. And one person will work at Excalibur. He's a martial artist like you, traditional too. Right. His first base was traditional. Another one's an accountant. Another one's a pilot, helicopter pilot. And then you've got a, you know, a prostitute. You got a stripper. Then you got a circ yep. performer. You got like all kinds of things going on. So Las Vegas is super interesting. You know, the dynamics are just pretty wild out here. You meet so many cool people. Honestly, like I'm, I'm actually a lot more stoked in Vegas than, I mean, I don't think I'd ever want to live there. No, no disrespect. Oh, it's all Mostly because it doesn't have an ocean, but you know, I don't mind going there because if you do need to check out from the whole like glitz and everything you got some really cool nature spots out there you have valley of fire and you have um red rocks right there i Both literally live in red rock I, I might be there traditionally speaking when i say traditionally right now that's not the case the last few weeks but maybe two three times a day i'm climbing or two or three times a week i'm climbing and hiking there and it's it's actually pretty accessible on some of the areas you know what i mean but like at, at the other side is really aggressive. You've got a lot of free climbers, like free solo Alex Honnold and others that are just setting up shop there year round. So did you, speaking of climbing, actually, did were you guys able to make the research in motion thing or did that get shut down? Yeah, so that right now is still shut down. The plan is for potentially September, October. Um, so what, what, break that down a little bit for people who are kind of not in the know, so to speak. So somehow I snuck into this group. It's the Range of Motion Project and they... Are Thank focused you. on yeah. rage in motion, not yes. whatever that guy said. Rage, rage on emotion. Yeah, they could actually add a little bit of fun to that name. But like, anyways, the Range of Motion Project is one of my favorite nonprofits because here you are. The founder is an amputee, congenital birth difference, and he went down to Ecuador to help out as a CPO. I'm thinking it was like right after college. He never left. He set up shop there, and he's found ways to outfit people with prosthetic limbs for. 20 years, I think now. Wow. And so he's been doing that down there and they have like all kinds of things. They try to bring awareness to what a prosthetic can do. You know what I mean? Like if somebody gets a prosthetic, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sure it started with, with like something mild, something small. You know what I mean? Like we're going to run a 5k. Now it's up to the point that we're going to climb 20,000 feet up a volcano, a very rugged volcano and show everybody what these devices can do. In comes so me. that's cool. Yeah, in comes me. Somehow I, there's me and a spinal cord injury. And we, we got on a team, you know. Somebody said, can you apply to be on their team? And so I'm like, absolutely. This is crazy. This would be so much fun. And so we'll show, I'll show on AFOs if it's possible. But it's, COVID's got it, man. COVID, so we're going to yeah. climb Cotopaxi 20,000 feet up. There's a nice documentary going to come out about it. Climbing with the U.S. Embassy and a bunch of others. But so far it's on hold. Okay, well, we'll get, we'll definitely keep watching your stuff to to make sure we pay attention to that because that's that's see, I'm always and that's absolutely 
in line with what we want to do with podcasts, with with all the movements, and and hopefully I eventually start doing some live events as things build up, and it's it's a lot cleaner mm-hmm. to do that. Um, I mean, I, I see even what they're able to do for people who need prosthetics in the surf community, right? Like, I was talking to uh, to Ty uh, Duckett that was on the show, you know, oh, yeah. quite a while back, you know, and just talking about like. I mean, he has to have a different leg for walking and a different leg for surfing. And, you know, like, I mean, just there's that. But the fact that you can customize um, prosthetics for different applications. So if somebody really wants to get into something, you just modify it a little bit for whatever it is they're doing. Obviously, that takes money, that takes, you know, resources and everything. But it is it's phenomenal for me to see what's able to be done uh, for people who need it. If you think of like Marco Chesto, I think is his last name. Yeah. He's at two hours and 14 minutes for a marathon bilateral amputee. And so like he's, they've made prosthetics. So, you know, there's going to be blisters. There's going to be a lot of pain. Of course. But it's so much better now. There's so much going on. Well, with Range of Motion Project, they've managed to make a prosthetic leg for about $2,000. I'm guessing. It's like What would it normally cost? Uh, 20, 30, sometimes 60, 80,000, I'm guessing for like very specific ones for bilateral. Right. And so like, um, you're looking at like, they're they're taking recycled parts from all over the country, especially in the U S and then shipping them down to Ecuador from other CPO clinics. And then they're piecing them together and finding ways. So it's pretty, it's like a pretty radical idea. See, and that's, that's cool, man, because, because you have, that's like almost like night and day from the you know, this prosthetist that's not too far from where you are that you were talking about before, right? For the, that oh, makes the, completely the different personality. Right. But completely. you know what I mean? Like there is a way if you get people stoked on a cause, there's a way to actually make it economically viable to do this. That's not a giant burden to the people who really need this stuff. hundred percent. Like we, okay, we can get into this too. Like what's like, are you there for the greater good or for profit? I'm not going to like, like I can't, say what's better or not that's up to the person but right, there's a sustainability a, argument you can make that you have to be funded at least a little bit in order to keep going but yeah yeah it's just it's just like where's the threshold especially on the medical side we're not exactly talking house sales here you know what i mean you're talking like like you're talking like if if you're really good at convincing people that your depew hip is better than a striker hip even though it's not and that Depew hip goes into somebody's body and it fails, they're up for another surgery just because you're really fucking shady, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. And that's, that's why I, I can see where you wouldn't want to have sponsors or be really, really careful about the sponsors you accept for Living Adaptive because you don't want to have to have somebody like, you know, let's say, like, you know, I'm not even going to pick a particular company, A, because I don't really know the prosthetics world, sure. but also I don't want to talk shit because whatever. Um, it'd be out of ignorance. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you don't want to have somebody, you know, let's say you have uh, manufacturer A uh, telling you you have to cut out this entire segment because one of your guests talked about how their prosthetics from that same manufacturer gave out right away and they had to have another surgery. Like, like that's you don't want to have that constriction of what you're able to talk about. Being that I'm not publishing now, I'll just say it. I won't bring up company names or nonprofits, but. I had a really unique individual spinal cord injury. He's building his own off-road chairs. And I talk about this a lot because this one I've already kind of said a little bit about. And when I was going to air him, I also promoted him a little bit. And I said, you know, this is Ben and he does Ben Hunsinger. He does an incredible job. 
And Ben said, you know, it costs this much. And I said, Ben, if you ever need funding, we've got somebody that fund you to build 10 chairs. You just pay them 25 bucks in addition to each chair. So basically 25 bucks off the top. Ben builds them for about 250 to 500 bucks per chair, sells them for like $250 profit. Those are usually $4,000, you know, these chairs. Sure. And so when I aired that, when I started airing that, not only did wheelchair companies, specific wheelchair companies reach out and trash this kid, attack this kid to me personally, also very large adaptive nonprofits did too, individuals within them that also favor those wheelchair companies and they were adaptive too. And so you've got these people fucking each other over for so little within a community. And it's like, dude, it's not that much money that you're saving and you're screwing over your own. And it was so bad. So that was one of the reasons, cause I had quite a few sponsorships talk at that time. And I'm like, I'm not taking any of these people. Yeah. They would probably pay me 25 bucks anyways. Fuck what's it. the, uh, what's the solution though? Right? Like, and <clears throat> cause I see it and you know, and I was, kind of alluding to it earlier like in the blind and visually impaired world we have people shaming people like oh you don't read braille enough or you're doing disability right or you know wrong because you use this particular service and blind sheep people shouldn't need you know this particular adaptation you should just learn how to do it with these skills and you know if that's what i see just in the blind world right in the blind and visually and people even getting yeah. mad at me that i want to i self-identify as blind like i get that visually impaired vision impaired are more uh you know kind of politically correct ways, you know, but seriously, like if somebody calls me, <laughs> gets like, if somebody gets mad at how I choose to identify, they're saying, if I say I'm a, I'm a blind person, say you're supposed to use person first language, you don't use disability <laughs> yeah. first. Well, I'm like, excuse me, uh, who's the one who's talking? The person yeah, yeah. with the disability, I should be allowed to say, identify myself how I want. And then when people start using words like differently abled, like, it's kind of wild, yeah. You know, or, or like seriously, honestly, the next time somebody calls me handy, handy capable, I'm gonna punch them in the goddamn throat. Yeah, what the hell like, is that name, dude? <laughs> what is that? Like when I hear handy capable, I think of like Jimmy from South Park, right? <laughs> I but like with all this, I don't know the solution. I do feel like we need to lead from the front more, meaning that we have like we have so many coaches and so many nonprofit heads that don't have a disability, yet we have like 15 percent of the pop at like any given moment. You're telling me your head trainer can't be adaptive at your your athletic org, or you're telling me that your nonprofit head at a sporting organization in Southern California can't be an adaptive person, or you can go further and further. You're telling me you, your device salespeople can't be adaptive, yeah. you know? Well, I think it really is. You're, you're, you kind of hit it on the head, though, leading from the front, right? Like, so, okay, I am the only blind person, uh, person with a visual impairment that's competing at the... Mm -hmm. Uh, Western Surfing Association contests right now. I'm doing it though, not because like I want to collect a bunch of trophies. It's I got it's you know whatever. It's it's going to get to the point where I don't have room for them all. But what it is, it helps people know blind people can do this. People with a visual impairment can go surf and can do this thing. You know when I go in and I train um, with Joel at Surf Fight. Um, and by the way, if you're in the San Diego area, definitely check out Del Mar. Uh, specifically, check out Surf Fight. Um, you know, I go in there, nobody's easy on me because I'm blind. You know, when I get a footlock on somebody, they're like, oh crap, you got a nice footlock. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? They're not like, that's a good footlock for, footlock for a blind guy because they know I'm just, because they just had me footlock them. They know that they're not giving it to me easy. 
And I think that the more of us that are, and that goes back to that whole doing difficult and scary stuff on purpose, right? Yep. Leading from the front. Yes, absolutely applying for the jobs, setting up companies where we actually value the input of people with, with adaptations and disabilities. But also, you know, if we want things to change, meaning we as people with uh, the need for adaptation, we need to go out and we need to stretch ourselves. You know, I get that it's exhausting to educate people every day. I mean, I'm travel. I'm training with a brand new guide dog here in a couple of days as of this recording. And I know that when I start taking that dog out in public, I'm going to have to tell people all the time, please don't pet the dog. And it yeah, gets yeah. exhausting. At the same time, the flip side of that is the more that we live life and don't just fall into kind of an easy way, we kind of push that. Um, that's what's going to help change people's perceptions of what people with disabilities, adaptations or whatever, that they, what we're able to do. It's going to hopefully, I mean, maybe I'm too optimistic. I don't know, but I, I feel like we have to take that onus on ourselves to actually live on purpose and expecting, instead of expecting other people yet to make the changes for us. And I think you could get, go into the idea of like, it was always competitive. Like that person that was running that large organization that's trashing another adaptive person. Yeah. That person didn't need to do that really. And, no. but they were fighting. They think they're fighting for the same piece all the time. They think they're fighting for like, like there's not enough room or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and then they end up eating each other. They don't work together. And that's a big problem, not just in the adaptive world, everywhere. This idea of like, I think it's just magnified in our world. I don't think it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's exclusive to our situation at all. No, man, it's just like this idea that we have finite space and resources and stuff when it comes to like creating content, finding sponsorships, but really it's a never ending, you know, load of things that we have in front of us and working together does a lot of good. At least that's what I'm finding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, who do you think is doing it right, right now? Obviously you have the, your homeboy um, ways for all. I've never heard a bad thing about him. And I usually hear something on the adaptive side. Range of Motion Project has the best social movement that I've seen in terms of like people that just want to be part of it. It doesn't matter if you're adaptive or not. They just want to be part of it. And so I feel like they do the best on a social movement side. Outside of that, Man, there's a lot of messes out there. We all hear the stories, you know? We all hear the stories of the nonprofit heads, the coaches, everybody. And everybody starts a nonprofit. We have like a new nonprofit every other day, or every every 15 seconds. I don't know. Well, I mean, here's the other thing. Reality of it, you know, this is peeled back the curtain even more, right? Um, you're, you work your ass off. I know you work a full-time job. I know Living mm -hmm. Adaptive and, and your other podcast, um, True Story, you know, that they're they're passion projects, at least you know, to whatever extent, at least for the time being. You know, you mm -hmm. work a full time job. Um, a lot of other people, they're maybe they're kind of in that transitional spot. You know, we've talked about it before on the podcast where somebody's on SSI or SSDI or some sort of disability thing, and then the the threshold to transition off of that and work. So to, and that's then, tough. Yeah, and that's tough in and of itself. But then. You combine that, all the extra steps that goes into working and the logistics of working when you have a, you know, adaptations that need to be made, and then to pursue a passion on top of that. You know, that's why I quit my job five years ago, because with, you know, I could not expect my wife to drive me to and from work every day. Reality was <laughs> that it took me almost two hours on public transit mm -hmm. one way to get to work. 
that's you know then to combine that basically if all i wanted to do is work and go home and you know you know have a few beers every night and go to sleep i could sustain that kind of lifestyle but if i wanted to actually do that plus train and actually work towards a, a like some sort of dream like dude i was getting maybe 4 hours of sleep a night it was it's was, it not it wasn't sustainable so like you know for somebody who has to, who has a dream to do something bigger and work it's you know nonprofit uh, organizations sometimes are your only path out where you build enough of a thing to provide the means for you to do your thing and to help other people do the thing but then something happens where it become because they don't kind of scale it i feel like then it becomes about getting donations it comes becomes a gap becomes about making sure you get the notice and then you lose sight of the original reason why you got your organization started. It's totally like that. Like kind of like an MLM or something. Well, you talked about like being on SSI, whatever type form, let's just say stimulus payments, whatever it is that's going on somewhere along the way, we lost sight that like these individuals that need these resources, they're giving back. They're telling stories, they're helping, they're showing us possibilities. They're going through hard times. Where I don't know where we got in our psyche that like, man, if you're on social security, if you're on this, you suck. Why can't you come sell a whole bunch of houses like Kevin and celebrate your latest commission? And that's more noble. And I'm like, where did we lose touch with the idea that like, there's nobility also in the idea that, yeah, sometimes we need help. And sometimes we also like, it's okay to do that. And it's okay. Like, because there's many ways to give back to society. I think the other thing, and you, you hit something on the head that I've been, um, I, I stole this from Andrew Yang and I'm not like specifically getting political, but something he mm-hmm. said when he was campaigning for, for president before, you know, obviously he didn't get the nomination. Mm-hmm. He made the statement that, and please, if you're a Yang guy, don't hate on me because I might not get it right. He said essentially that there is a problem when we're only valuing uh, humanity based on how much earning potential somebody has. It's crazy, man. And like that's really that's the only thing that matters. You know, being a parent and 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 raising like you know uh, kids with se- you know severe autism. Or and, and like who are nonverbal and probably never going to live on their own just based on the way society is and, and the adaptations that are made, have been made for people on the spectrum, that's not valuable. Um, you have people who you know like my friend John, like he does work and he does make money and stuff, but dude, like the the he pushed for for Shea Eastham, who who also is a prone assisted uh, surfer who's oh, yeah. come a long way. Like actually, uh, if you do start up living adaptive, I absolutely think you should talk to that dude. But you know, he pushes for him from nine to nine fifteen or nine twenty or whatever his heat was. Then he gets out of the water and he comes and and calls waves for me in my heat. And like, you know, I yeah, you know, I was able to use some of my my CF money to cover like the expense of going up there. But I'm not paying him what he would get paid for the whole day from as a personal trainer. He's putting that time in because he wants to see this stuff happen. You know, that's not, people don't see that as being that worth the same thing as if he just went out and he's, you know, basically worked with a, a billionaire client and charged them a ridiculous amount of money to work, do a basic workout with them for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I know, man. The idea, the philosophy behind like, 
like earning potentials or what you have earned. And that makes like the measure of a, you know, of a good life or, or whatever greatness is how much you earn. Whereas like some island nations, the measure was how much time you had with your family. You're very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And then some other areas is how much knowledge you have. And it's just like the, the culture here is more, more, more. We need more. And that leads to so much unhappiness. I watch people work in sales constantly, round the clock. I always hit on sales because it's such a low-hanging fruit. But like the point being is like they spend so much time of their life doing this and maybe a few less sales. And maybe, you know, you'd have time to do what you want because in the end, we know the story. It's like, what are you working for anyways? More free time, less bills? What is it? Like, what are you working for? Because you could probably get it a lot quicker than what you're doing. Yeah, and and I, I guess, and that's that is kind of the 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 whole focus of this, right? Is let's find as much stoke in life as we can so we can like remove that desperation. Obviously there's not a whole lot we can do with the current economic structure that we have, but if we can provide more opportunities for people to find those moments of of like vivid living, then you know, maybe we got a shot. Maybe maybe humanity can survive. <laughs> I think so, man. I think so. Everybody's like I love Robbie Ripple's uh speech he gave, like it was the third week of COVID and he's like what if everything doesn't fall apart? What if there's so many positive? What if the world turns out to be a better place when this is all done? Honestly, it's this, I would never want to go through this whole thing again. And thankfully I didn't actually get it, at least as far as I know, I got really, really sick the end of 2019, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I did okay. But it has absolutely made me rethink, okay, what kind of schedule is sustainable what's good for my mental health what's going to help me to actually um you know live a life that i think that where i feel good about what i do you know and i and i'm still kind of untangling and as we open up i'm gonna figure out okay how can i make enough money to to sustain but how can i strip down to where i'm not like over extending myself and then just do the stuff that matters to me you know, rather than, oh, let me go impress this person because they think I need to do this. And why aren't you open this time? Well, it's like, I'm, I have enough students right now. We can cover, you know, we don't ha- need to have like this big 20,000 square foot facility in order to teach, you know, to have a living. Do I want to eventually have a big place where people can come train from all over the world? For sure. But it's like, why why rush there? That whole, you're talking about the, the slow burn, right? From mm-hmm. my martial arts background and I'm training for you know, years down the road, it's enjoy the moment now and kind of build up as makes sense. You're not going to gain the people who try to gain muscle too fast to the people who end up killing their, their heart because they're taking too many steroids. Yeah, man, it's true. It's like, I think of like on, this is a true story on that podcast. One of the most downloaded episodes, and I don't like to even say stats, but I'll just say this. One of the most craved episodes was simply fiercely and she her that's her blog and like check it out if you get a chance but she basically minimized her husband now ex-husband minimized all her goods minimized where she lived she's now remarried again and that path led to so much freedom so much truth and she like everybody follows her she's what top four blogger in a minimalist sphere which is incredible because that place is stacked everybody's a minimalist on pinterest or some shit and so like People are craving this simpler lifestyle. I don't know if there's going to be a revolution where like these McMansions and shit, which I'm sitting in one, you know, in Vegas. Like, I don't know if these are going to be a thing of the past at some point. Hopefully. I think, I think what's going to happen, you're going to start seeing different, like sort of not really communes, 
right? Because I think we mm-hmm. all kind of saw through the 60s, 70s that, you know, communes basically, you know, before you know it, you know, first you start out and you're all having <laughs> groovy time. You're all doing mushrooms together on Saturday night. And then, you know, three years, you know, th- three, five, ten years later, you're cutting your nuts off and, and drinking <laughs> Kool-Aid waiting, wearing Nike shoes, you know? Like, yeah, man. I'm easily influenced sometimes too, because like, I worry about that. Like if I eat ayahuasca, do we end up eating somebody? You know what I mean? Like what right. happens in the end? But, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I feel like there's going to be more intentional communities, maybe not quite a commune situation, but people are going to be more, you know, I want to live here. Well, why do you want to live there? That's kind of a shitty house. Yeah. But the, the surf is so good. And the and the guy that runs the taco shop down the street smiles at me when I order my carne asada. Like, like honestly, I know that sounds kind of, but I feel like the, that type of thing that there are more people that are starting to value that. I think because we've all just been cooped up and we crave genuine communication. We're kind of tired with the overload of of news, everything, and you know, I don't. Maybe that's just maybe I'm projecting kind of where my thought process is, but I can't be the only one. No, I kind of feel the same way. I feel like um, a lot of people are going towards the minimizing of things, minim- minimizing family that's toxic right minimizing friends that are toxic then to the idea of like all the other things that they can minimize objects if you want and then i've seen a lot of minimizing like some of the happiest people i've met have minimized their social media i realize that you and i have to kind of stay there because things we're doing but if you don't have to work in social media some of the happiest people i know are off that comparison machine you know well and i think one of the things that i've done i think this is really valuable too you know, is to think through your notifications, even just something as simple as, even if you do have to post, I know it's hard sometimes. Like I'm, I'm super addicted to my phone. I reach for my phone when my phone's in my hand. Yeah, me too. I've literally done that where I've been on my phone and I go, oh, where's my phone? I'm like, and I'm like, oh, starting to panic. Where's my phone? <laughs> and it's in my other hand. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? Great. So like, but minimizing like, all right, after 10 or after whatever, you know, like, you know, maybe... Uh, I, you know, I have an automatic thing where it, uh, my phone goes on do not disturb from, you know, 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. every day, whether or not, you know, if I, and if I need to get on it because I'm out with friends that I turn it off. But I always turn it off just so that I can give myself the break of not being called, not that's being texted. Yeah. You know, and it's not much. And, you know, sometimes like that's why I go surfing or, and sailing and stuff is because I can't take my cell phone out in the water. I don't have a waterproof case and I probably will never get one just so that I don't have the temptation of taking my phone out there. It's just so much overload. You know what I've been finding? Like after interviewing, like you're super successful. You are. And I think of like so many others that I've talked to or interviewed in the common trait. I say this quite a bit lately. Cause like here, like this is how I'm a shitty business person. We could go put this in a course, (laughs) sell it on clubhouse or some shit and make some money. But the reality is, is like, I wouldn't do that first. And second is it's like, it's pretty simple when shit is really bad or maybe it's not bad, but the commonality I find in people that have hit some significant adversity is no matter yep. how bad it got, they had this goal, whether it was to create a platform, a nonprofit, win a championship, or even participate in something. And no matter how bad it got, every single person that I've ever interviewed made progress to that goal no matter how dark no matter what just keep moving you know and that's what i'm finding is like has been a really successful part of getting through covid 
getting through the politics. Like everybody lost their shit over the politics. Everybody's oh, going dude, nuts, and I don't man. even care whether you were a, a, a Trumper or Antifa, whatever. Like take the full extreme of the political spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody lost their mind. This, this is like I don't think that's a, a too bold of a statement. <laughs> and I'm not saying like 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 I couldn't get caught up in the noise. Like I feel like like. Like hundred years, like hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years ago, I like I could have accidentally stoned someone if the crowd was like that influential. You know what I mean? Like that's what yeah. I look. No, at, I think like, I think all of us have that sort of susceptibility <laughs> yeah. to just cut, get caught up in the moment. And... Yeah, that's what I'm saying about the Trumpers and everything. And I think like deep down, most everyone that I talk to, their intentions are good. Whether it's crazy, where it gets nuts is like I'm starting to see like you're starting to see like 68 year old white dudes like. They're like watching Fox News and they're going frame by frame to decide if it was a good shoot for that cop that day. And it's like, you could do anything else today than watch this shooting over and over again and then provide your input that nobody's going to take anyways. And like, it's just so much negative energy surrounding so much right now. But like, you see that, like what happened to Matlock? You know what I mean? What happened to that? Like we upped the ante so high now that we're going frame by frame deciding like, is this a good shoot? Mm. Was that okay for that cop to shoot the 15 year old? And like, there's so many other things to do with your time. That's more positive than trying to justify bad shit. Well, and that goes back to the whole thing. Do something that's good for you. Right? Like one of the mm -hmm. things that, that I, a friend of mine uh, got me onto and I'm, I'm trying to be better about this, but I think it's a really good uh, baseline is do something hard every day. And do something good for yourself. You know, find some sort of pure moment, right? It may not be like, um, you know, an, an extended period of time. You're not going to go for like a five, 10 mile run necessarily, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Take a minute out. You know, you do the thing that's hard for you. Maybe the thing that's hard for you is to not hit the snooze button. And you start there. Maybe the, 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 the sweet thing, the kind of moment of purity is to go outside before you've turned on the coffee maker, before you've, uh, you know, you, you've checked your phone, go outside. If you are fortunate enough to live in a place where there's decent sunlight, go outside, stand in the sun, breathe in some fresh air, you know, whatever it is, listen to a song that stokes you out. You know, like, I feel like if people do that stuff intentionally, then, then maybe, I don't know, maybe that can kind of edge things off a little bit. Be, I've had yeah. to do that. Cause I've, you know, I've spoken on the podcast and, and you and I've even spoke about the fact, you know, I've got PTSD. I if I let that so spiral, I get nothing done. So like I got to do, do that. And I think that collectively as a species, we all have some level of PTSD going through this last year and a half. Right. Because it's just wild. You know, so if we it's can so do different. some things yeah. that are good for us, maybe maybe we got a shot. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit this particular episode, but I think it's true. Speaking of like uh, tough stuff, so right. your school, you shut down your school and now we're going to be coming out of COVID, it sounds like, right? Yeah. Like they just said 12-year-olds can get vaccinated. Are you going back oh, to that's, teaching? Oh, that's new to me. Yeah, 12 that's to, to 15 Pfizer is approved as of a couple hours ago. My mom could be lying to me though. She gets my hopes up. <laughs> she told me my legs look nice too as a boy, so I don't know. Like well, you know, it's funny. Like, I'll write something for my mom's newsletter and stuff, and it's like, oh, that's such a great article. Meanwhile, I'm like, you're saying that because I'm your son, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like 40 years old, and I still can't quite trust. If my mom said something's yeah. really bad, then I can maybe believe her. Although, yeah. what's funny is 
little side trail. She heard the podcast I did with you, and it was oh, just yeah. ahead, it just as I was getting ready to start this podcast. And you're not going to talk like that on your podcast, are you? Yeah, yeah, I get that sometimes. Like, I, I got a note, and they're like, "Hey, you told your story, but like, is there any way you could stop swearing in it?" And I'm like, "I mean, I could cut that. I'm not going to." I probably it again. should do at least something that's like kid appropriate somewhere along the way. I would like if this builds enough momentum, I wouldn't mind doing an adventure mind kids thing. But like, that's that's an idea. That's, that's actually so a sick re- idea. It'd be a that's great idea. Great. Be a great idea. I just like it's all I can to kind of smooth this out at some point. That that's that's on the the burner but yeah mondays are like a dull hour and then thursdays are like kid it's kind of like jocko jocko has his uh series on kids and then he has his adult yeah. stuff for like the military side I yeah, guess. yeah 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 but um so like oh, crap dude you know it's so funny like i've i've had this whole thing where i've had perfect hey let's flow let's flow let's, let's flow with almost every guest but there's so much shit to talk to you about and like i've kind of like oh what am i gonna do this um with uh man all right let's let's pick it up uh <laughs> see it's it's honestly it's moments like this right like this is this is a thing for me where there'll be a slight lull in a conversation and makes me go oh crap am i gonna be able to steal jokes when i finally get on stage again yeah man <laughs> you will <laughs> no i'm sure i'll be fine but um what are you doing right now like obviously you got the the, the the club or the uh the the new podcast you're still doing that you're obviously working you're kind of hanging in oh you were asking me if i was teaching again my bad yep um i am teaching a handful of students so when we shut down our school we live in a place right now we're able to kind of work with a handful of people we have like a little bit of an outside training area and so i have a couple of basically they're all related you know it's, it's either cousins or brother and sister um and you know it's been an interesting thing because I absolutely love all of the training that I've gotten so far. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was very, um, you know, traditional in its orientation, very practical, effective martial arts. But also I've been kind of thinking about, you know, it was, it worked in the way that my, the master that I trained with taught and thinking through, you know, how has society changed um, what needs to shift? What are my priorities with regards to martial arts and, and, you know, my wife and kind of her strengths and, you know, how do we pass something on that we think is actually going to help? Now, and the other thing too, is that my ideology relevant to spirituality has shifted. And that was a part of a component of the particular traditional school that I came up in is it had its own breakdown as far as that's concerned. So I've, I've actually been in a period of transition relevant to, how am I going to teach? What am I going to teach? Am I going to lean in more to my Jeet Kune Do back, you know, training that I've, I've done um, and work with that particular instructor? And now that my, the master instructor that I've trained with for all these years is essentially retired, uh, mostly, you know, so that's, I still have students. I'm still teaching them things that I think are good. What it looks like long-term as I kind of want to progress in my jujitsu, want to progress as a competitive surfer and all of that. How do I find that balance so that I'm not wearing myself out doing too many things? Because I still want to do stand-up. I want to run the podcast. And um, it is an interesting dynamic with COVID, with what do you do? What do you <laughs> – it's that whole reassessment of society. And, yeah, we had to shut down our school. We were keeping open. And then it just literally as we were coming to this decision of do we try to still make enough money to, to pay our lease – 
um, the place that we're living in now opened up and we're like, well, I don't think we can sustain this because we don't know when we're able to actually open and stay open. And mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that likes to just fly in the face of the rules, even though I think some of the the restrictions on businesses and open your gym, don't open your gym are a little bit, it's, it's, it's really difficult, especially in California. Uh, I, I didn't want to go back and forth with that and do that to the families that were, were trusting in us. So we basically just taught a few students on, on the quiet here. Um, you know, basically train at your own risk. Don't come if you're sick. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable, then don't come. And, but we kept it on the, on the DL real, real quiet. Um, obviously I'm talking about it on the podcast, but you know, we haven't done anything but word of mouth advertising relevant to the students that we've had. I do look forward to being able to expand out and not having to. Yeah. You got like quiet. an underground. Yeah. You got the, underground yeah, and it's, team it, it's, it's, it makes it really hard to kind of attract new students and to kind of build a business when it, because part of it is, is I honestly think at this point, um, I was really, really careful. And I've been really careful not to sign other people up for the risk that I didn't sign up or that they didn't sign up for. So even though I was training in jujitsu before I got vaccinated, I was, you know, surfing and hanging out with people without masks to a certain degree. I didn't do that everywhere. I had a small chunk of people that I did that with. But then if I went to the store, I always wore a mask and I didn't really go anywhere. I didn't go out and and really put myself at risk. And I definitely didn't hang out with my in-laws until they've been fully vaccinated now. And it's, um, you know, building a business back up. I don't want to get the hate for posting like, Hey, I just promoted my students. Like, why are you teaching people? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't need Karen going, why are you having, trying to run a business? It's, it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, so, um, there, there is that. <laughs> and so that, that is kind of a tricky dynamic on my end. What are you, what are you doing? I mean, obviously has your work been affected your day job or have you been able to work from home mostly? Yeah. I've always kind of like, I've, I've gone into like a contractor role for like my work. So I just come in and give some consulting help and then I'm out. And so I'm out there, like actually like most of my energy is going into, this is a true story, but I've had a two week break. We're airing back out starting tonight, actually late tonight, a new episode will come out probably Tuesday for East coasters though. Um, so, so that's been a lot of my energy is content writing, consulting for other content creators too, and building that, but then training all the time and being a parent. It's all the time. It's a never ending workload with that, but training too. the idea that we might yeah. climb in a fall is really aggressive because you're talking 5,000 feet, I think up to 20,000 feet. That's going to yeah. be a climb and just, uh, you know, ice picks and stuff or whatever. I don't even know what the hell I do. Like I sign up for the stupidest shit all the time, but I've, I just got to get, I got to get back in shape. I thought about going back to a little bit of, um, little bit of martial arts too. I thought about going down to extreme couture or somewhere like that and training because that gave me a lot better cardio at times than just running. A buddy of mine's cousin runs um, Cobra Kai out there. I don't wonder if I can get get you guys an in or something. That'd be amazing. I yeah, I know Cobra Kai. Uh, I was over past that. You, you kind of end up like when my kids took jujitsu out here, it's so cheap. Everybody's a black belt and that <laughs> like heads the classes, you know what I mean? And then are I they legit black belts though? Because I've, I've been to places where it's like, he's a black belt, but is he though? <laughs> yeah, like uh oh, uh, let me think. Um, Kira Batar was the, her their teacher. If you know her, she's okay. a she's a top notch fighter, like a top notch fighter. Uh, Jake Hatton, um, Floyd Mayweather boxers were on their boxing, and guess it was like a hundred bucks a month for all. Th- you that's know, all my kids. that's really really good. Yeah, it's cheap out here, man. Because everybody's so that's the a problem fighter. of living in San Diego. San Diego's like the jiu-jitsu mecca, 
but it's it's sometimes hard to f- to find really good jujitsu that's not going to be too much price wise. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys are paying a lot more. I mean, to be fair, Extreme's going to be more expensive. Um, there's so many. I mean, Frank Mir School is going to be pretty expensive. There's those. I mean, I'm fortunate. I, I mean, I do get the bro discount with Joel, but still, it's like if I was to pay full price at Studio Five Forty where I used to train. Mm-hmm. For one month, unlimited classes like two hundred and fifty bu- or two hundred fifteen dollars. Oh, damn! When I started, it was like one fifteen. That was like oh nine for jujitsu. That is before that. Before that, I remember I could pay for privates for like fifteen bucks for like that's insane. Well, for catch wrestling or grappling, it'd be like yeah, 15, 20 still bucks. that's that's really good. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, and plus it was better because like with what i'm adapting to you get some meathead that just wants to fucking kick the shit out of your legs you're like god damn dude just chill out (laughs) and so like it was easier to be like i'll just you know pick up this person for an hour you know a week or something like that but out here it's been pretty good like i don't want to say the names because i don't want to put their prices on it but like we're talking people that have fought for championships in their classifications and like kabatas and other things like that charging only 50 an hour um for for 50 some were 25 an hour for a mayweather boxer that had a pretty that's you know, wild decorated pass yeah because that's there's just really so wild. many there's just too many fighters out here so like when i moved out here i'm like don't mess up don't get in road rage you know because like at any rage. point somebody's like yeah yeah like i remember going to the gym and i was on ironically leg extensions i was rehabbing because i have like so so, so you're telling me your t-shirts is a, are, are lying to us yeah well. yeah I, I can't i yeah that's true because i did do you say leg skip day. leg day but then you're really you're i was and day. guess what leg i was doing that leg extension like really like really weak you know movement and stuff and i look sure. up and across from me is wanderlei silva and this was all Whoa. the time in that gym and he's making eye contact with me and i'm like if he Dude, if he wants to, if he wants to just make me his wife right now, that that's there's not a, a whole lot you can do about that. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing I could do about it. And so, like, and then you see a lot of the um, other other individuals out there, and it's just like, damn, there's just so many alphas. But where you are, San Diego is the mecca, though. That's like the original Dude, mecca. There was a guy. Okay, so I think I've told you this story before, maybe, but mm-hmm. there's this guy um, Uske. He was one of the coolest guys I ever met. Uh, legit judo black belt from Japan. And the, as it was told to me, because I used to train with him up at 540 back in the day when I was still up there. And he shows up, has a gi and like a net bag, and uh, comes up to the counter and he says, uh, Jiu-Jitsu? <laughs> nod. Puts down a wad of cash, pays for it in advance, uh, sign, and then basically it's like, yeah, we just need you to sign here. He barely spoke any English at the time. Writes his name in fucking Japanese for his signature. Damn. And he came, but here's the thing, dude. He came from Japan. Yeah. To train in 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 grappling here in this in the, you know. And then I've met people who've come from Brazil. Brazil, bro. <laughs> Coming well, from Brazil. Well, you got so dude. many camps in your backyard. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, dude. We got Jocko's out here. We got, uh, dude, like Jeff Glover. Just randomly, he's he's been hanging out t- teaching classes at, at Joel's place. I had a, like a freaking like class with with uh, <laughs> with Jeff Glover. Like no problem. Like jujitsu legend, you know. And then you have it's like so amazing. It's it's bananas to me. Uh, the f- first guy that taught me Muay Thai was Aaron Riley. He had like fifty MMA fights, and I'm so shitty. And he's just so patient. And he was there for a brief moment, for a minute. And then it went to somebody else. But you're like, man, it's crazy that that would have been a one 
that was teaching. But like out here, there was just so many interesting individuals that you come across. I remember taking my son to his wrestling practice. He doesn't wrestle anymore. And I coddle him. Like, I love him. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. I don't need to, this isn't boot camp for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is a kid yeah. that I, I love. And next to me, big, thick Brazilian accent. And he's just yelling at his son. And he's like, I'm not going to say what camp he's from, but a very yeah. famous camp. And and I'm like, oh, what you know, what are you doing out here? And he's like, I'm the head trainer for this. And I'm like, damn, every day for his kids is like, it's like going back to like Black House or like one of those schools, you know? What yeah. I mean? Well, I, I remember reading Rhonda's book, right? And she, I don't know if have you, I don't know if you oh, read yeah. the book, but she was talking about how book, she had. I remember okay. This. She had broken her leg, like sneaking out or something. Like she'd topped a fence or done something happened. I don't remember the specifics, but. Basically, she had to admit to her mom that she had hurt her leg, and uh, she's like, "Well, I don't, I don't know if I can really do judo right now." Her mom, like you know, Olympic level judoka, right? Like clearly, she's, so like crazy. she's not letting her letting her get away. Then she's like, "Well, does that mean you can't work on your mat work?" Like, like so literally, nuts, like she man. has a fucking broken leg, and her mom's like, "All right, work around it. Work on your mat work now." You wake up to arm bars, like Ronda. Oh, woke dude, up to dude, arm she bars. would legitimately, yeah, exactly. Her mom would wake up. Uh, wake her up with an armbar every single morning. That's why you saw how many t- fights Ronda won with armbars. Like that's why. Yeah, it's, it's just a crazy culture. The culture is different. And then growing up in Pennsylvania, wrestling was the base. Everybody was a wrestler. Yeah, and that for sure I couldn't do. Like I could do, but I'm gonna damage myself. And so like out here, there was more like variety. You know, you could what I mean? find a way to train around your your particular situation. Yeah, with the right people, but you didn't exist where I was. You know what I mean? You, Russ and Hughes, Pete McGregor, you're like the few that would have the real skill set to like take us and kind of keep us safe through the process. You know what I mean? That right. You're still learning valuable stuff, but you're not getting like destroyed every single time. Yeah, you can come back the next day. Yeah. And I honestly, I think a lot of people misunderstand how absolutely tough, like wrestling, I mean, you know, just that wrestling alone right like the scariest guys for me to grapple um for me to roll with are the, honestly the white belt muscular res- wrestler that hasn't done anything for like five six years damn <laughs> because you don't know what they're gonna do they're just gonna freaking like i don't know they're gonna spike me on my head and yeah, so like, i don't like that yeah so so sometimes i will i'll let them get stuff on me just because I don't know what they're going to do, man. I'd rather let them at least tap me in a way that I know that I can control. They're not going to tear my arm off rather than, you know, like maybe I'll just, you know, I don't usually like to just pull guard. I really don't. But like I'll pull guard if it means that you're not going to just try to suplex me here because it's just a better, it's safer because I'm in this for the long game. I don't want to not be able to train tomorrow. Yeah, and I don't plan on getting in a fight. You know what I mean? Like, so like uh, nobody does, I think. Well, maybe, yeah, they definitely do actually. But I don't plan on getting in a fight. So I'm like, I want to enjoy myself. But I've thought I've thought about going back to that for a little bit and doing things like that. But outside of that, man, just we're getting ready to travel. You know, like we're going to start traveling. Now that again. you can, right? Yep, start traveling are, are you, again. Are you going to be like the you know, Partridge family, take uh, your <laughs> wife and your kids and, and going across the country in a, like a painted bus? Through one time, we hit 27 states in a year, and that included many national parks, and they didn't miss that much school. We were That's just like- really cool. Yeah, we would go crazy, and I'm like, like my kids were hiking Yosemite when they were like just little ones. I definitely not the healthiest Not the, not the tough trails, but-, but Pretty close, yeah. Upper Falls, things Did like that. Did they like that. it? I mean, were they stoked no. on it? 
No, they were pissed about the heights. Uh, so was I. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, like at the time I'm living in DC, it's like, you don't see shit in DC compared to what you see in the West. Like everybody's like, we're going on a hike in DC. That means you're just getting bit like by mosquitoes. You're not doing right. anything. Right. You come West and it's a whole nother game. People are like, oh, that little hill there. And it's like a thousand foot drop. And you're like, this is crazy. <laughs> it's a different game out here. So we're really cautious. Like sometimes you get in those predicaments and you're just like, just take it slow and reverse you know, if you need to, but yeah, they got to see a bunch of stuff. So we want to start doing that again and enjoying that time and getting out to you guys. We're going to get yeah. out and provide are we, some Are we going to be able to, are we going to finally have you confront your, your fear of uh, <laughs> sharks? sharks. Yeah, man. I mean, if I get bit, here, we'll though, do, we'll do to you what, uh, what John did to me when, when down we were surfing, we paddled like for a nice long paddle. We went West probably about six, 700 yards. So we're way past the break. Yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. under, you know, we're n- no things around us at all, you know, and uh, it's probably easily 30 plus feet to the bottom, like super clear. He, you know, John said he could see all the way to the bottom. That's great. And then, then this homeboy starts talking about all the different species of sharks. Oh yeah. He's messing <laughs> like, thanks John. He's just messing with you. He's trying to, no, he totally was. But like, it's just like, if, you know, like there's literally no, no way to get away from him. If there were any out there, of course that, you know, if there really were any, he would tell me to start paddling towards shore. He's not stupid, but if I got something eaten by a shark, you know, a toe or I don't know, an ear or an arm or whatever, that follower base is going up, man. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, that's going to be absolutely. Yeah. So like, here's the thing. If I get eaten by, a sh- if I get attacked by a shark, Make it something that doesn't mean that I I have to stop. Yeah, take like the ear off. You know what I mean? Like, or or you know, if I'm gonna get attacked by a shark, let me die. Let me either die or have an injury where I can recover from. Don't give me like this sort of like injury that permanently changes the way I have to surf. I mean, I'll do it, I guess. But yeah, you figure it out. You'd be all right. (laughs) But yeah, no, if that happens, like think of like. Man, the, the platform just expands, you know, on that shit. That's one thing I think that we learn is like the more fucked up it gets, like the girl that get her ar- got her arm eaten by a, a tiger talk- or a lion or something in that one show where they. Oh, Saf. Yeah, actually, I think uh, Saf identifies as a as a man. By the way, just I have no. I'm that, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I actually. Well, I don't think I don't think he had transitioned. I think he still identified as as female during the. Uh, the show so i think you're good i don't think yeah it was right when the show aired in fact i reached out to um the also the double amp the guy that's a double amputee i reached out to a large-scale prosthetic wing that covered him in like 2016 or something as a french company that now owns rush foot and stuff i'm like you got to get me this person like come on dude you use my shit all the time <laughs> let me let me get this let me get like let me get the contact info and so like i tried to reach out to them but i mean the platforms grew and so, like, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I watched one episode. Literally watched one episode and had a couple clips, and then I was I got it. so wrapped up into that show because I watched it early on. Like, that was yeah, yeah. when I was still, you know, that's, you know, I talk about it before. Like, that's when I was spiking my beer with vodka. I was, like, honestly, like, just going deep at <laughs> that time when I was watching that thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little healthier in my living at the moment, but... You know, that, that was right. It was the perfect show for the world shutting down. Like, what else were you going to watch? Yeah, yeah. And I had I had no idea what happened to everybody. You know, I didn't find anything. All I saw, like, for the guy that's a double amp and the person whose arm got, like, that's all I saw. I couldn't find social media. I couldn't find anything for any of these individuals. So David like, Spade did a whole bunch of interviews with them. Yeah. With the people from the, from the show. Was it good? Uh, yeah, he did. It was interesting definitely interesting if you would watch the show um 
And then they did like sometime after they had released the initial series of episodes, they had a follow up where they like talked to people afterwards. So it was, you kind of got a little bit of a glimpse as to what happened, you know, kind of post whatever. What's wild is, uh, uh, you know, who's on uh, Clubhouse now is Carol Baskin. Oh, shit. Did yeah, they use on- their platform, though, after all this adversity? That's the one thing I'm like, leverage that. Dude, she's she's in talks. Carol Baskin is in talks right now to have a Netflix original talking about animal rescue. Wow. What the <laughs> fuck? How? Dude, like, Ch- Chick has her husband murdered, clearly. Like, I mean, you know. I mean, Dude, I, but I that's know, the allegedly, thing is that I'll allegedly. probably watch that. I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably actually be you know, one of the people that give ratings because like, Oh, I probably will too. I'm I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah. The chaos is better. Yeah. I would love to talk to either of those two that got injured because like that, that's a good fit for living adaptive to see if they like, what did they do after that injury? Yeah. Because it was so public after that. I, again, I can't find their stuff though. I can't. She just went back to work. Like it was nothing. That's the, that's like seriously the biggest badass thing. Like her whole goal. Like I heard an interview when she was talking about it. The reason, well, I guess he went back to work, uh, was because, you know, Saf didn't want anything to happen to the animals. Like, they were more concerned for the animals than they were for, like, any, but then for the that's arm amazing. that they just lost. Saf is the name? Yeah, I think that's the name. If I'm, well, if Saf, right. if you're listening, man, that'd be amazing. Like, if you anybody knows Saf, I'd love to talk. So that'd be, that's a cool one. But yeah, like that's the one thing is like, if I could get anything out of the platform that was living adaptive is like showing that individuals like yourself, like Jacob Pacheco, like so many others, it's like, there's possibilities to do a lot of good shit, even though tough stuff happened, you know? Yeah. And that's universal. (laughs) Fully. Fully. Is there anything else you want to make sure we, uh, we mentioned like, uh, and obviously I want to make sure we give the heads up on your on your Instagram, all that fun stuff. We'll put that in the show notes, of course. Cool. Um, yeah, one thing I'd like to mention is I feel like this is your platform. You don't get interviewed much. Not you know, much. You're doing the interviewing. You know, well, you get interviewed. Slip it in here and there, but then it becomes like, that is the one thing where I totally get accused of sounding like Rogan because you listen to his show and then it's half the show is is him. Uh, there's my phone going off. Bad, bad awesome. podcast host. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is, uh, it is actually uh, Chewbacca yelling and what's funny is empire strikes back is my favorite of the star wars movies of all time and i know exactly the that that particular uh chewbacca yell comes from that movie because (laughs) every single time i watch that show i get to the scene in cloud city and he does his yell i keep reaching for my phone and realize that it's the movie um (laughs) but i I but yeah i end up sounding like rogan because like you listen to his show half the half of his show is him talking about the same things like you ever tried dmt you should try kettlebells have you done (laughs) jujitsu well i would say this is that like you get interviewed a bunch outside but you don't get interviewed on your own show you know what i mean and one thing i think that your audience should know because you probably don't get to say this um a bunch you know like maybe you do maybe you don't is that like you have this storied history of kind of breaking some barriers and doing some cool shit and I'd like to see that continue to expand, like in terms of like showing that outside of not just the podcasting form. I'd love to see you have mini series and shit like that, because I feel like you could take that mic and bring the best out of not just a disability, you know that, 
yeah. like the best out of each individual that you put the mic on the camera on and stuff like that and i think that audience like i think your own audience if they're listening they should point out and say something to you that man that'd be pretty cool to see you expand a platform to that yeah if people want to like you know if you got something you want to see happen let me know and we'll, we'll try to expand it out and see what we can do to make the new things happen I'm, I'm talking to a couple of people it's about as much as i can say about some possible tv things but you know how that stuff goes it never <laughs> you know, like you get like oh it's all hype and like hey it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and you pitch to one network and you know like i had a thing where I, uh, we pitched to one network uh like a like a real major network last year but that was last year in april Nobody was buying anything last April. <laughs> no, they're starting to buy now. I've heard some things and I've heard some outrageous numbers for podcasting. Um, I've heard, but like, I'm going to tell you, like anybody is listening to pod, this podcast, like to get paid for podcasting is already really tough. There's 2 million podcasts that are releasing each week. I think 2 million active podcasts or each month. So yeah. there's so much choice, but that's way less than YouTube channels. So there's still a lot of room to grow and to get paid for them usually comes through sponsorship if you want them, if not, or something like that. Patreon is a thing a lot of people end up doing. If you happen to have a specific niche, especially crime or um, dating or things like that, dating especially, dating I heard like uh, a, like kind of a kind of like a 10 to 20 series, like 20 episode series, like people that don't make decent money are being offered like 150, 200,000 bucks to like put those together. On certain networks you're like money's starting to come into content creation again and tv series i've heard a few things about shopping tv series so like i'm interested to see that because they're like, running out of content i mean like <laughs> they are because we because there was all that backlog of stuff they produced in 2020 that got released just in the last few months they haven't been filming anything now what are you going to do oh yeah and then add in that it's a lot cheaper i mean from what i'm hearing you can have a celebrity like Tom Cruise and he's very popular, of course, but he's not going to do the TikTok thing where he's every day worth no. money. But you get the content creator that's on TikTok, you know, getting a few million views each day. And then they're on Instagram too and other social media platforms. Paying them is a lot cheaper than, say, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, because Tom Cruise wants $20 million, I'll take a million. Yeah. You know? So you're hearing these micro celebs <laughs> that like, well, actually they're bigger. They're bigger a lot of times now, like a Jake Paul or something like <sighs> Dude, that. They're I, bigger. I was I, like, I was hope, like, I knew it was possible that you were going to mention Jake Paul. God, that, <sighs> that was fucker a mess. Annoys the, he annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> Both he's him and his mess, brother. Dude. <laughs> he did well for like getting money, but he's like, it, it's only going to go Dude, so I far. I want to see him fight somebody who's actively training right now. Like, you know, like, if he had had to fight Ben when Ben was actually training, like consistently, instead of after he had taken so many shots to the mm -hmm. chin, like, I mean, yeah, everybody's like, oh, Ben Askren, you know, he got the, the perfect chin. And you're like, yeah, when he was fighting, he's taken so many shots. That's why, like, he can't, he can't he's got fight two the hips way. replaced, man. He was like an like, Olympian alternate, I believe, for wrestling. He's just done so much. That would be like you and me grappling and me telling you to close your eyes and expect you to do it. <laughs> but we're taking away so many weapons, you know, each time. Like, is it a fight or is it a boxing match? If it's a boxing match, whatever. Um, do that thing or whatever. But at the same time, just don't call it a fight because it's not. And it's, it's not a true fight. And so, like, it's kind of fucked up that you take those away. But, like, good on... Good on Jake and them for making money, but we don't have to like them. 
You know, like we don't like. Well, them and then he, then assholes. it's all about like, do you see this this latest thing with uh, Floyd <laughs> stealing his hat? <laughs> it's crazy, did you, dude. Did you see that? The the oh where yeah. He lit- oh my gosh, that <laughs> it's freaking middle school shit. You know, I've seen Floyd like, and um, uh, Flavor Flav in one spot. Uh, one time like a year ago because they were just hanging of, out or what yeah they were right like maybe a year or two or four years ago but either way yeah not long ago and it was like it was amazing it was amazing because like those are two why i say those names are they're two huge tyson floyd flavor um and a few others are huge celebrities in the southern section of vegas at a point because they all kind of lived out that way yep. Yep. and so like to see that but floyd was always kind of like a nice guy he's not the character that he portrays and so like to see him flip out like that i don't know if it was a shoot or if it was just <laughs> what i don't know what it was well here's the thing you know uh floyd knows money and jake knows you know that they both know how to get people's attention yeah man you know it, so it's interesting but those those paul brothers they grew up not far from where i grew up and they kind of look like they kind of look like mennonites you know what i mean like Jesus, but they kind of got that that look but 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 like i mean when you're in like central ohio or like eastern ohio or like ohio actually in general in pa like i lived in ohio for three and a half years it's a weird place yeah dude i could i could pull off i could pull off the amish look over time i think if i if i could grow hair dude, i'm halfway there yeah like i got this beard over here I'm not going to raise a barn. In fact, I'd be the guy not to actually lift it while 40 other people around. I just pretend. But like, I, I will say that like they like to come from where they came from and to make such a uh, impact worldwide. It's just nuts, man. And so that's the point is like the micro vloggers, the, the people that are micro vlogging, meaning on social media instead yep. of YouTube and stuff like that, they're getting paid a ton. They're starting to get paid a ton. It's a weird world, man. <laughs> It is a weird world, but I would love to see you continue to expand that because I know you, you have tons of really good ideas and like the, the trick is honestly just making sure I put out the content, kind of like planning it out and stuff because that's just it. Like I want to train. I don't. I don't care about the documentation, but I need to if I want to get people to kind of you know come on board. And that's that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and I love this show style. I like the conversation base. It's so much cool. easy, like easier pace, cool. and we could be real, you know. Yeah, and we don't have to worry about time exactly, you know. I mean, yeah. it's probably annoying for <laughs> it's, it doesn't make the most business sense to be able to just have a podcast that goes on for over an hour, but it, for the people who dig it, they seem to really dig it. And I'm, I'm stoked that at least pe- enough people are starting to dig what we do, that the audience is growing. Agreed. It's beautiful, cool, man. man. Hey, well, uh, real quick, give, give out the Instagrams, any websites, and then we'll, uh, um, if you want to laugh at my medical, well, if you want to laugh at my medical records, you can go to livingadaptive.com and see what happened to me. Um, I've been I've been loving people are like I can't even read it so I posted those for fun I say that because if like you can find everything there you can find my medical records you can find episodes you can find you know whatever I'm doing there there you can find the social media links living underscore adaptive on Instagram and Facebook I'm hardly using that thing is like kind of toast right now and uh, so I've been mostly on Instagram and then podcasting this is a true story you can find that on all podcast apps and Living Adaptive. Living Adaptive is on a little break, though. I got to figure out what I want to do there. Right, what's the Instagram you want people to, to hit up right uh, now? Living underscore Adaptive. That's the best cool. one. Right on. Hey, as always, and thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on the show. As always, Thank you, Josh. Adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. Yeah.